Welcome to a podcast dedicated to your mental health. I'm Bailey with the Recording Library of West Texas. Hi, I'm Christy Edwards. I'm the Executive Director and a therapist at Centers for Children and Families. Hi, I'm Melanie Size. I'm the Marketing and Development Director at Centers for Children and Families. Together, we're bringing you tips and tricks on how to navigate this thing called life. This is Center Solutions. Due to the nature of some of the topics that are discussed, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Center's Solutions. So I need to check in with you guys. I have not asked you, Christy or Melanie, how are you doing? How is your mental health today? <laughs> oh. Let's check in. Oh. Let's do a check in. That's what I say. Do you really? Do we have time for this? <laughs> do we want one podcast or two today? Yeah, I'd have to have a separate podcast. You know what? I feel like busy. That's the buzzword, and I think we can probably agree on that. Mm-hmm. We can We're definitely also agree. We're busy. Our schedules are all over the place, and it's kind of the theme of every conversation whenever mm-hmm. you see someone. I think everyone is dealing with that right now. I agree, um, especially with the season change. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of gearing towards the end of the year, trying mm-hmm. to get all your books in order, things like that. And then a lot of events are trying to be squeezed in for the last of the year. And so, oh my gosh, Christmas is right around the and corner. And Christmas, oh. yeah. Um, we should do a podcast about how to cope with Christmas. Oh, yeah. Totally. How to deal with the stressors of that Christmas brings. The good and the bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's like, how do you turn off the Christmas machine? Right. Kind of, you know, before you get caught up in it. Even the Thanksgiving mm-hmm. dinner with all the family. Ooh. Right. That would be a good uh, good podcast yeah. episode, actually. So today, let's talk about cancer and how to cope with cancer. And I'm really excited about this episode because we are joined in the studio with Leticia. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. That's how you pronounce it in Spanish, Leticia in English, however oh, you want to say. I call her Leticia. Look at that. I said it in Spanish. Yeah, no. So now you're bilingual. <laughs> I'm bilingual now. I can put that on my resume. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about this episode because it's almost like a center's client spotlight. And so Leticia has volunteered her time to tell us about cancer and how her experience with centers um, has benefited her. So it's really cool because you can walk alongside Leticia and um, hear her experience. So welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me and asking me to be part of this. This is exciting. So Leticia, was, uh, she's been a friend of mine for a very long time. And amazingly, I did not know that we had this special connection, that I worked for this organization that helped her so much. And so she, uh, she spoke about it on a video that we had at our event, and it was very moving. Uh, that was one thing that I know a lot of people left feeling very touched by. So um, I think it's a really great topic and something we don't necessarily always think of. Um, I have an article that I read that I wanted to read the excerpt from because it, it truly makes me think of what the experience might seem like. Um, I have no idea, but just in doing a little research, I'm trying to understand some of it. Um, It's an excerpt from an April 8th article in The New Yorker by Ann Boyer titled, What Cancer Takes Away? This is just a little piece of it. Um, Boyer says, Every movie I watch now is a movie about an entire cast of people who seem not to have cancer, Or at least this seems to me to be the plot. 
Any crowd not in the clinic is a crowd that feels curated by alienation. All the people everywhere looking robust and eyelashed, and as if they have appetites for dinner and solid plans for retirement. I am marked by cancer, and I can't quite remember what the markers are that mark us as to who we are when we are not being marked by something else. Leticia, what does that mean for you? Tell us your story. How do you respond to that? You know, in reading this, it, the, the word marked by something else, those last, that last phrase right there, I think that it, it's so true. You feel like you're in a movie and the day you get told you have cancer is the day that your world stops turning but the rest of the world keeps going. Mm -hmm. And that's what's hard about anything. Any time you deal with whether it's something that's great or something that's bad, you stop, but everything else keeps going. And in the marked by something else, I think when you do have cancer, whatever type it is, I had was diagnosed with breast cancer in January of 2010, and I am forever marked by scars. So they did a double mastectomy two weeks after I was told I had cancer. And those scars will never go away. There's things, even though it's been eight years, even though every checkup has been wonderful, since then the scars will never go away. You're marked. And you do go, you walk into clinics, you walk in and you see people that are just moving on with their life when your life just took the sudden turn and will never be the same. Your family's life will never be the same. Those around you um, will never be the same. So that's what that means. Take us through that phone call that whenever you received that phone call with your diagnosis, what was your first emotion? My first emotion was fear. Um, I, I had felt a lump. I was 39 years old, so I wasn't old enough to have a mammogram. And I had felt a lump in the end of November, going through December. I, and I call, I work with doctors on a daily basis. So I was going into these offices daily and I would just ignore it. I thought it was going to go away and it didn't go away. So finally I said something to my doctor and he called me. I'll never forget. I had just driven up to my house. I'd been working out, was sitting in my car and he said, kiddo, we have a problem. And I knew, I knew as soon as he said we have a problem because he's so upbeat. Um, And he just said, I'm going to read this word for word. And I sat there and I couldn't believe it was me. And then that fight kicks in and you just fight. Just, okay, what, what, what do I need to do? And that's, even though it was fear, it was that fight fight and flight, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, okay, I'll go to your office. I'm going to pick up the report. Who do I need to go to? He said, we're scheduling an appointment and it just snowballed. Um, but, but fear would be how my initial reaction. 
And then you had to go and tell your family. Take us through that. So I picked up the report and I drove to my husband's job. Um, I walked in. He wasn't expecting me. And I didn't change. I was still in my workout clothes. And he was on the phone. He was either on the phone or someone was in his office and he could he could see it on my face. I, I think he had someone in his office. He asked them to leave and I just went and we just hugged. He knew. His mother had passed away from colon cancer just three years prior to me getting diagnosed. Wow. So, you know, he didn't want to lose someone else. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we just cried. We cried in his office. Um, and then I told him, you know, I, let's, let's just see what the next step is. I don't know. And when you first get told, you don't know. And back eight years ago, there weren't books written. I remember I, I'm, I was a researcher. I, I went to Barnes & Noble. I went to try to find anything and everything that I could, um, how do you tell your kids? You know, and we talked about it and we just wanted to be very honest. And I know some families, they, they, I know I have friends and they don't tell their kids. Mm. Um, and I think that's just a personal decision, but I wanted to be honest with mine. (laughs) I wanted them to know what was going on and why things had changed because life was about to take a huge change. Mm-hmm. And how old were your kids at the time? I have four kids. Our youngest was three, a little boy. And then um, I had a seven-year-old and I guess she would have been 13 and 15 at the time. So they were young. Mm-hmm. They were young, and I called. Um, I I called one of them today, and I asked her. I said, "What do you remember about the day when I told you that I had cancer?" Because I know what I remember in my mind. Sure. We we sat on the bed, and I told her, and she said, "I remember you were just very reassuring. You told me everything was going to be okay." And. Throughout the entire journey, you just kept reassuring me and everybody else around you. And that's how I think I got through what I got through and what I had to battle. 18 rounds of chemotherapy, the most aggressive kind. They did it every two weeks. Usually you do it once a month. But because I was young, they wanted to attack it. 33 rounds of radiation at the end. Um, I've had 11 surgeries. I had a pulmonary embolism um, because of the medication. I mean, it's just been a staph infection, one thing after another. But I'll never forget when I told my daughter, Brooke, and she looked at me and she said, are you going to die? And she remembers, she remembered that today. She said, I remember just thinking you were going to die and you told me you were going to be okay. And I did. I told her I was going to be okay. Did I know it? No, I didn't. Mm -hmm. But whenever they have faith in you and they trust what you're saying, that's what helps them through. And in that way, I think that also 
comes back around to you and helps you feed forward with positivity. So, yes. I mean, I know that there are other people that have done that and have not had a good outcome. Right. But I believe that's part of the mindset that you have to have whenever well, you're going to tackle yeah, something like that. And I think it's going to be okay uh, can mean different things. Absolutely. And ultimately, it's true. Mm-hmm. But whatever the outcome mm-hmm. is, it's, it just may not be the outcome we like. Because basically what you were telling her was whatever it is, we're going to get through it and we're all going to be aware. Yes. And that is what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when did you decide that therapy is something that you would be interested in, that you needed to go to? When when did you make that internal decision? When a doctor told me that I needed. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Tell, tell us more about that. That's great. That is good. Yes. Um, because, you know, when you're going through all that, you... you 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 see your doctor weekly, mm-hmm. um, and and they see you, and they see you the all, struggle, all, the despair, yes, the fear, the up and the down, mm-hmm. and and even though I had, and people to this day will tell me you had such a positive positive attitude about it, you always were smiling, and that's just what I needed to do. Um, but when you're in your doctor's office and you can you're comfortable and you can mm-hmm. confide and they do, they see it and they see your lab work and they see your family, how they're reacting when they come with you or your caregivers, you know, and he, he told me, he said, I really think you should go talk to someone. And centers was on my insurance. That's how I ended up there mm-hmm. because they were covered on the insurance. Do you remember your first uh, appointment with with a therapist, do you remember walking in, how you felt? I went with my husband. Um, I do. I remember that. And I remember walking in and feeling like the weight of the world was on me. You just, you're just so burdened by so many things because cancer not only touches your physical well-being, but it touches every aspect, especially your financial well-being. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I met with a lady from the American Cancer Society soon after I was diagnosed, and she said, you know, we don't budget for cancer in our life, and you don't. Mm-hmm. So for myself, financially, it was really hard. Um, You just have extra expenses. You want to make sure that you're you're nourished correctly and the good food and not being able to have any leftovers you have to cook fresh you can't go out to eat um, at buffets you know uh, anywhere where there's multiple hands Mm -hmm. touching something they tell you just because your white cell count is low so cook fresh but that's that gets expensive and um i I remember like just that's back when coconut water was first coming out, but it was such so good for you for being dehydrated. So but that was expensive. Those were just added expenses that we didn't have budgeted. Back to your question on how we felt. My husband and I just. it, it We weren't we were strong in our marriage, but this had taken a toll on our marriage. Sure. And walking in together just helped us talk with someone that wasn't part of 
our world. Mm-hmm. Right, because he's got his own perspective and experience in, mm-hmm. in being mm-hmm. the spouse. Yes. I mean, that could be a whole other mm-hmm. uh, other other conversation. The caregiver is uh, hands off to caregivers. I mean, I you, 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 know, you do so much and you're mm-hmm. so helpless. Mm-hmm. You're so helpless because I was the one that was on the bed and couldn't lift my head up. And I, I don't know what it would be like. I don't know what I, when I had my reconstructive surgery, it was an 11 hour surgery Wow. in San Antonio. And he was in the basement without cell, cell coverage. I don't know how he did it. He and my sister were there together. And I, to this day, I look at him, I'm like, I do not know how you handled sitting there waiting. I mean, you know, this has been 10 minutes and it seems like 11 hours of somebody being in surgery, but you do it. And, and caregivers, like you said, it's a thankless job because they're there and they're, they're choosing to be there, but they get the good and the bad and the ugly, you know, and sometimes yes. when they're in a bad place, it's the bad and the ugly, not the good. And, and you know, with cancer, they give you steroids. Mm-hmm. And there is a thing called roid rage and, you know, because you get angry. I remember mm-hmm. being angry. But I couldn't show it. Mm-hmm. But I could to my husband. Mm-hmm. He was he was but the one that. <laughs> I've read a lot about how some of the medications, including the chemotherapy that causes depression. Yes. Um, and I think Alex Trebek from Jeopardy mm-hmm. talked about that a lot when he was opening up about his experience, about how sometimes he just felt just so sad and couldn't explain it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that plays that takes a toll too because it's all it's a physical direct right. into mental right mm-hmm. that's a chemical that's affecting your, Absolutely. your physical it's body your, right it's invading you and it's it's affecting your mental state yes it, well, it, thank goodness your doctor was smart enough to say i think you might need to talk to somebody because they could say that's a physiological reaction or a physical reaction to what's going on with you it will pass mm-hmm. or you're going to have to just get up and get yourself out of bed and make yourself go do some things instead of saying what he, I mean, what he did was, right. I think maybe you should go talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So hats off to him. Yes. Yes, yeah. he was. And depression is so real. It's, mm-hmm. it's so real. It's that pit in the stomach, mm-hmm. that, that feeling that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. Was there anything that you did on a daily basis that helped you get through depression? I... I had an amazing support group of friends, of family, of strangers that reached out. So I did blog. You asked me earlier if I was a blogger, and I forgot about this. I did. I I would blog. I would write. And my friends started it for me in Arizona, one of my best friends, uh, while I was going through surgery just to keep people updated because we have family all over the United States, all over Mexico, everywhere. And they wanted to know. So she started it. And then I remember she told me there came a point and she said, people want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So I started and I didn't think I was a very good writer. I I just, I don't write like you. She's in, in journalism and she just can, can, was so elaborate in how she would say things, but I just started just writing what I would go through and that helped me. My faith helped me. Um, people would send me books. They would send me little note cards. They would email me. They would, and that kept me going mm-hmm. 
on a daily basis, just whether it was reaching to the side table and getting just reading one of those little books that somebody would send you or reading somebody's email. So does it feel, do you think it feels important? Um, I was on a different side when my son had his car accident. We get too much into that, but I was very isolated and alone. And so I wrote a lot about it. Having that interaction for me was just the only way not to feel, just to feel connected. Does that resonate? Yes. Yes. You connect with people you, and they care. Mm -hmm. People care that you wouldn't think that. Yeah. It means something. Yes, Yes. Yes. Because they reply, they comment. So. And there are people that don't reach out or accept that help. And they do stay withdrawn and isolated. And I don't know that their prognosis is always as sure as uh, positive as yours, because I think that does matter. Yes. Yes, it does. Is that because sometimes they they just don't know how to feel or how to respond to that interaction? I think they're very private people and they feel like, you know, I don't want to share this. You know, I don't want to blog about it. I don't want. And, and despite because, you know, what we talk about as therapists it's better to talk about it. You know, you talk about it, you talk about it some more, you know, you listen to what other people's experiences have been. You draw on those, you know, you um, can correlate with how other people have responded. But to to remain isolated, it pretty much makes you feel like I'm the only person who's ever gone through this. My outcome is so bleak. So you can get that helpless, hopeless feeling. And we try to take people outside of that, not with false hope or anything, but it is like, there is hope. There are good things that can happen. We don't know the outcome. We don't know the outcome when we wake up in the morning, right? Right. So, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that you're going to have to reach out and take some risks that you might not would have wanted to. Yeah. And I think, too, sometimes people don't want to put, make people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you can isolate yourself in that way mm-hmm. because you're trying too hard to be okay or, or not really share because you don't want other people to have the burden that you're experiencing. But every, everyone's different. Everyone's mm-hmm. different. And my sister, I remember she called one day and she said, you're such an open book. You tell everybody everything. And I I do mm-hmm. <laughs> currently. And I did back then, more so back then, because I was just trying to keep people informed. Uh, my father-in-law lives in Iowa. Right. My husband's family, they're not here. My family is here and I have friends everywhere and they would want to know. They sure. wanted to know. Sure. They needed to know. Mm-hmm. To know that that we were going to be okay or maybe we weren't okay at that time. Mm-hmm. It may have been a very bleak time. So this is how you can reach out and help. Some of that, too, is our, our families. Maybe, you know, people have to evolve to a place where it's okay because generation that's, or that's uh, culturally it may not be so such a welcomed idea Mm -hmm. to come and spill your guts, if you will, and just share all of that. But I think it's becoming more, uh, we're all kind of an open book on some level, Mm -hmm. you know? No, I think there's a continuum. People, you you know, you can share as much or as little as you want. And it depends on how big your family is or how big your friends circle is. And sometimes it's easier for you, for people to get information that you want to share because then they call and they're like, I don't really know what to ask, you know? I don't want to pry too much, but oh no, she opened the door for that so I can ask about that. Mm -hmm. So once again, it's that feeling of people care about me, they're calling, they're listening, they're paying attention to what I'm doing, and that makes me feel good. And in turn, when I feel good, those feel-good hormones Mm -hmm. kick in and help with your recovery. So whether the recovery is complete cure or whether it is coping, 
And I think that sometimes people just forget. They're like, if I can, if it has to be a complete cure for me to be okay with this. And sometimes that's not happening. I feel like that's, especially with mental health, that's really, we, we talk about coping Mm -hmm. so much because Mm -hmm. I don't even know what a cure is because whatever your mental health issue is could be something different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously when you have a life event like this, like an illness or maybe, you know, the death of a family member, that changes what's going on Mm -hmm. with your emotional health. You might, I think it's safe to say you might not ever get over it. You just learn how to live your life. Right. I have a question, and it's a personal question for you, Leticia. I actually just found out last week that my dad has cancer, stage four uh, colon cancer. So what can I do for him? What can someone who's a family member do for someone who's going through cancer? Be there for them. Don't just say, what can I do? Do. Be proactive. because. One thing that I had to learn was the word humble and acceptance of help because I was always the one that was helping. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the one that was needing to be helped. Your dad right now needs you. He needs as much of you as you can give, whether that's on the phone, whether that it's there in person. Um, and be there in whatever capacity that can be. I think that's great advice for anyone who's experiencing um, a family member, a loved one, a friend, coworker, whatnot, someone in your life who's going through this tough time. Just let them know that you're thinking about them, that they're yes. crossing your mind and that you're there for them. And like you said, maybe sometimes just asking, how's it going? Isn't enough. Maybe taking that extra step to make sure that, you're there for them is what's important. Well, and I always like to tell people, when you ask somebody, how are you doing? Be prepared to listen or Mm -hmm. be honest. When somebody asks you, how are you doing? If you're not doing great, I'm not doing so good. Because I think today we just were so, it's a formality. Right. Mm -hmm. We're too casual, I think, about it. We just... We just see a stranger or someone we don't see often. Hey, how are you doing? You know, and you keep walking. And you, you know? expect That's... them to say, fine, how are you? Yeah. Go on. When they don't, it's like, oh, well, got to go. <laughs> right? You right. Don't really oh, know. oh you're okay. looking at their watch. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. I'll talk to you later. And then, you know. And it could be something as, as simple as if, you know, your dad has a favorite soft drink or sweet or right. something, you know, say, hey, I just sent you this or let's go get an ice cream. Let's go get a Coke. I mean, let's go have a drink, What, whatever. Let's pray, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, or just offer that support. I, I think, think that's really important because I know if anyone ever asked me, what can I get you? It's going to be on fine. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, that's, mm-hmm. that's just yes. what most of us are inclined to do. Right. Oh, I'm okay. Don't worry yeah. about it. We don't want to be a but bother. when somebody comes over and Brings you something specific, you know. Coolest thing anybody ever brought me at the hospital when I was there, my kid, was toilet paper. I was about to say. Toilet paper. Wow. The, uh, and just to, who would, because it's terrible. At the, the hospital, hospital it is. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. You're just hanging out there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Miss that. And, and yeah. the time I remember that 
I just had to accept people giving to us was when one of our players family walked in. My husband's a baseball coach at UTPB and one of his current players at the time, his mother lives in Midland and she walked in with cases of styrofoam cups, toilet Mm -hmm. paper, paper towels, Mm -hmm. you know, throwaway disposable items. And I just remember going, oh my gosh, we need that. That's exactly what we need. We need that. Mm -hmm. And I would have never asked anybody for that. Mm -hmm. I would have been too, pride would have taken over. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's it's the little things. That's better than a casserole a lot of times. Magazines. Yes, magazines. Are great because you just, you sit there. Mm -hmm. You sit there. There's so many lonely times. That, and I think that's why depression kicks in, because when the world keeps going, you stop. Mm-hmm. I read something the other day that um, this girl shared her Spotify playlist with people listen to, like whenever they were undergoing chemo, because it was like uplifting songs and yes. things like that. And that was her gift to them. Oh. Isn't that great? Because she had you know, sought out some happy songs. I love so, that. I see that in... Running groups a lot. Mm-hmm. So that makes so, sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's motivating and right. that's it's a new And world. that's thoughtful, right? Yes. Yeah. Leticia, what would you say to someone who is currently going through cancer right now? I would say to ask as many questions as you can. Be informed of what your journey will be or is. Accept help from others when it is offered because people will offer. And if people don't offer, ask for help. There's organizations out there that that's, that's their mission. And it's going to be okay, but it's going to be your okay. We don't know what that is. Um, That's good. That's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I would also caution is while I want people to be informed, I also don't want you to immerse yourself, drown yourself so much in the what ifs or, you know, this one person had this, this one person had that. Oh, my gosh. I'm already the rabbit hole girl. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what you'll call it. Because, yes, you want to educate yourself. You want to know some things. You want to know other people's experiences because you want to be able to connect in some way. My thing is keep in mind that you don't want to go down the rabbit hole each and every day. So I think, you know, as Letitia did, she's, she sought somebody to talk to that could make those recommendations that had done their homework about what book to read. And I just think you have to have a good balance of, of the information that you're taking in. And get a second opinion. Oh, yeah. I think that's, that's so important that mm-hmm. some people will go with just what some one person said, and there are so many other options somebody might miss something you just never know so that's when people right. call me because I do get calls a lot you know I, I know somebody can they call you and I'm always open for that I refer everybody to my blog you know if you want to go through my journey what I went through go in and read um, and I update it yearly now at, on on my anniversary in January every year so I update that mm-hmm. one question before we go how are you doing now how is your mental health now? Right now, my mental health is good because I've 
um, started a new job. We have a new school year, you know, so right at this moment, it is good. I was informed by my husband just last night when I told him I was going to do this podcast. He looked at me and he said, have you gone for your checkup? Because I have switched jobs and I was no, I haven't <laughs> because I do go every six months. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that's, you know, continuing your checkups is very important because the recurrence, recurrent, recurrence rate is very high, but so stay on top of, of your health. But my mental health right now is really good. My, my family's amazing. My friends are amazing. Um, the, the, people I have met in within this last year have just been great. And the support system that was there eight years ago is still there. Thank you for sharing your yes, story yes, of resiliency. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you. Check out the article in The New Yorker, What Cancer Takes Away by Ann Boyer. And make sure to read Leticia's blog at L-E-T- I-C-I-A-R-E-I-N-K-E dot blogspot, that's B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. Center Solutions is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas. Post-production work is done by Bailey Hennis and Abby Wiggum. Content is provided by Melanie Size and Christy Edwards. Contact Centers for Children and Families at 432-570-1084 or the Recording Library, 432-682-2731. Email Melanie with questions you want answered on the show at msize at centerstexas.org. That's M-S-A-I-Z at C-E-N-T-E-R-S-T-X dot O-R-G. Both nonprofits are on all social media platforms. See you next time.